Greg Harden is a retired sports counselor rock star. Following Greg Harden on any sporting day is to see how revered he is. Boom! Boom! You'll see players coming up and giving him a high five and the little shoulder bump, the bro hugs. That's a clip from an episode of 60 Minutes. Back in 2014, the show featured Harden as the University of Michigan's Executive Associate Athletic Director, Student Athlete Health and Welfare. He has consulted with everyone from Tom Brady to Jalen Rose, Desmond Howard to Michael Phelps, and many more. Greg Harden is the secret weapon at the University of Michigan. This year, Harden published a book in which he reveals his own secret weapon. Can you imagine telling a 330-pound lineman <laughs> the secret that's not a secret <laughs> is self-love and self-acceptance, believing in yourself, trusting yourself, being as kind and generous and compassionate with yourself as you are with everyone else. The book is called Stay Sane in an Insane World, How to Control the Controllables and Thrive. Today, Greg Harden's going to peel back the curtain on the methods that he used through 24 years of guiding the university's young athletic stars. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Greg met us at our station for this conversation. It's a very familiar environment for him. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to hang out with you in this magnificent building. It's our favorite place, but I'm glad to hear you. you did, did I hear you say you used to do TV work here about a zillion million years ago? <laughs> a million years ago when I was a young buck, I was invested in radio, television, and film. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the pipes to prove it. Oh, thank you so much. And so I worked uh, at WUOM and, and did staging and lighting and worked as a cameraman and was planning clearly to be in front of the camera and in back of the camera. The the paths that your career has taken, that was that was part of the fun of the book for me. I mean, it's the story has been told like you were a track athlete when you were at Michigan, but I just loved getting this this view of how your your understanding of the self it was no question informed by your experiences as an athlete, but it actually sounds like the journey got started when you left school, when it when it hadn't worked out for you. Oh, April, you're, you, you've got it. Do you mind telling the story of what was well, going I, on? I'll put snippets and I'll edit quite a bit. No, <laughs> but um, when I left the university, I uh, went straight back to Detroit, worked in a steel mill. Uh, and was totally convinced that um, that's where my life would end up. And after about six months in the steel mill, I said, hmm, perhaps I have carried this a little bit too far. (laughs) Uh, I was uh, excited about becoming a parent and getting married, and that didn't turn out too well. And I was totally convinced that I wouldn't go back to school, came straight back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Then left again, believe it or not, and was out for about five years and uh, perfected uh, being someone who was hustling and doing everything that I could to stay sane (laughs) in an insane world. Uh, Because we're talking about the 60s, 70s. So, I I mean, I graduated from high school in the 60s. And late 60s and the 70s was 
quite an exciting period of time. That's that's a polite way of putting it, I think, especially in Detroit. Especially in Detroit. And uh, it was, uh, but God has a an amazing sense of humor. And everything I thought I was going to do, um, it was clear that he appreciated my ideas and, and said, but that's not what you're going to do. You're going to help people. You're going to be a healer. I said, but. I don't even like asking for help. (laughs) (laughs) Who does? How can I be a helper? And um, I was blessed with an opportunity to work with people. And I had a mentor named Howard Brapson from the School of Social Work who convinced me I needed to stop thinking that I knew what a social worker was and to begin to understand that I could create programs that could impact people's lives. When you talk to people about your work, how do you explain the difference between uh, social work style counseling with athletes and other people Mm -hmm. and someone who practices sports psychology in the more formal sense? Well, it's really important that people understand that the sports psychologist was the foundation for a lot of people understanding the mind in sports. Uh, But their job is very specific to teach you visualization, to teach you how to really uh, be grounded and focused, and it's from the neck up. Mm-hmm. Social work model is the whole person. So here, if we were to come up with a fancy a catchphrase, it would be total person, peak performance. I mean, the, the most interesting thing for a lot of people is some of the stars I've worked with. If you'll see, Tom Brady was kind enough and thoughtful enough to write the forward. And people want to know what was it like to work with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a human being, a 19-year-old young person trying to find his way. And that was my adventure was treating people like they're regular folk. I mean, that was another, a really big part of the revelation of, of the stories that you had to tell here is people love to talk about Tom Brady, but but they don't love to talk about the really soul-crushing first couple of years that he spent at Michigan. There were some similar stories with Michael Phelps. Desmond Howard was in a rough place yes. when you connected with him. I mean, I kind of feel like the story of success is about what happens when we get knocked down from what you presented. Bless your heart. <laughs> you know I'm sincere. I mean, think about it. It's how we respond. It's how we react. It's how we manage failure. And then with this cast of characters that we're talking about now, how do you manage success? I mean, Tom Brady had no interest in being a star. I've worked with a lot of kids who want to be stars. It was not Tom Brady's mission. His mission was to be the best that he could possibly be. And when stardom hit him, it was like awkward. Yeah. (laughs) One of the, the guiding principles that you talk about early on in the book is how you try to talk to folks about controlling the controllables. I, I am absolutely staggered that, that you have had to say this over and over and over again in your career to people who are probably pretty giant control freaks. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, think about coaching coaches. Woo-hoo! Oh, man. <laughs> think about what it really means to take somebody who at 15, 16 was identified as a star, uh, who 
comes to a university in, in all these sports, we're talking about 29 sports. And in this day and age, we're talking about 950 athletes, all coming from places all over the world to come and try to take it to the next level. But they come in, they were gifted and talented, and now they're back on the bench trying to get in the game. You also emphasize that people need to come up with their own personal definitions of success. Yes. I imagine that's also hard for athletes. Why, why is that something that, that you feel is really key for all of us to figure out? Well, it's not just hard for athletes. It's hard for us. You know, what is your definition of success? What would success look like, taste like, smell like? Getting people to dig deeper and go past the fantasy of success, of meaning money and power and influence, and begin to get them to open the door to talk about being someone that is respected, someone that is loved by other people, someone who can take their personal goals and, and take it past just you know, wanting to have a big car and a big house, but being happy in the skin I'm in. It's time for a break. When we come back, Greg offers a literary meditation. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hate, and yet don't look too wise. More in a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. You have a really interesting format for the book that involves inviting us to not just read about all these people who have done very well, and who you've talked to about about figuring out their their goals and their method of getting there, but you've actually, you've actually made it possible for us to participate in this process. I have to say, like looking at those, all those pages with like, okay, now what, what might this goal be? What might be something you could do to get to it? What's something I want to do more of? What's a strength? What's an obstacle? Um, I found it intimidating. Really? Talk to me. So there's like these blank spaces, like, uh, you know, it almost feels like naming these things can be an expectation in and of itself. Yes, but when we begin to push ourselves to be comfortable in discovering who I am, because you hear everyone talking about becoming the best version of myself. You know, how do you do it? Well, the, the book talks about it simply. Become the world's greatest expert on one subject, yourself. You've been forced to learn this, learn that, master this, master that. Self-mastery is the secret weapon. 
Maybe this goes without saying, but it's a fact that some very successful people, including some successful people in in sports, have reached that level of mastery, but have gone on to make some questionable choices. Yes. <laughs> what does that bring up for you when you see it happen? Well, it, it brings up the fact that they haven't really committed to mastering self. They simply were able to commit to transforming themselves into amazing athletes or CEOs or attorneys and money-making machines. But we all know stories of people who on paper look extremely successful, whose self-loathing, whose inability to, to be happy in the skin they're in, and sometimes results in some pretty unpleasant, dark moments. And we know people who we thought had it all, who take their own life because they have not invested in trying to become someone that they could care about. They wanted the approval of everyone else. They wanted everyone else's attention and affection and acceptance. But self-acceptance was not on their list. Loving themselves was not how they were trained or what they were taught to do. And what I have the audacity to do is tell people that everyone has four basic needs. The need for attention, affection, approval, and acceptance. But if we continue to look outside of ourselves for those four things, we stack the deck against us. To stack the deck in your favor, you got to put the word self in front of all those. Being as attentive to yourself as you are to everyone else, as loving as you are to everyone else, and begin to know that I hope you like me, but if I don't like myself, it doesn't matter. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Greg Harden. He's a former executive associate athletic director at the University of Michigan and student athlete health and welfare within the U of M School of Social Work. And his new book is called Stay Sane in an Insane World. The subtitle of the book is probably giving people a sense of uh, <laughs> your acknowledgement that it's it's rough out there for everybody right now. Yes. And it, it suggested to me how deeply you may have felt the insanity of the past couple of years, too. Oh, look, think about how we have been tested. I mean, this book is it's not about me. It's not about Brady, Desmond. It's not about Michael Phelps. It's about us. It's about you. And imagine that none of us are going to get out of this alive. And so my legacy, I hope, is trying to reveal to folks what works for people who are trying to be the best at everything they can do. Imagine the pandemic. Imagine a period of time where social unrest is triggered by an untimely death of a, a man uh, who had people all over the world uh, questioning how we treat each other. So I'm stuck in a house <laughs> just like everyone else, and I'm questioning what's going on and who am I and where am I going. It was the perfect time <laughs> to write Stay sane. What was this the period that the book developed? It's been developing for years, but I sat down with uh, my tutor. 
I have a unbelievable tutor and coach, Steve Hamilton, who is world-renowned as a, a great author. And we work so hard at trying to put together how I think, how I process, how I teach, what I teach, and where I try to push people and how I try to pull people into an awareness, a self-awareness that gives them a chance of understanding that if there was ever a time to know who you are, now would be a pretty good time to invest in studying yourself. There was a quote in the book that really kind of flattened me. You were talking about if if we are in search of peak performance, that we have to retrain ourselves, we have to reprogram ourselves, work through the, the things we do that undermine our success, mm. and learn to find ways to support it, and not to obsess over triumph and disaster. And you had this quote from Rudyard Kipling that we should treat those two imposters just the same, mm. triumph and disaster. Where did you come across that absolutely thrilling turn of phrase? Like, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, <laughs> don't give way to hate, and yet don't look too wise. Rudyard Kipling wrote a piece called If, and it's... It, it's been break, I have been <laughs> programmed to see that as a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough piece for me. I studied it over and over and over, and it made too much sense. Anytime I get to quote <laughs> If by Richard Kipling, I will do it. Anytime I get to talk about Viktor Frankl, I will do it. Anytime I get a chance to push the agenda of contemporary writer Carol Dwick, Mindset. I, there were times I would not recommend books, but there are some books you have to gra- you have to grab. There are some prose and poetry that opens the door. Think about this for a moment. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Control the controllables. <laughs> <laughs> The whole idea, though, that, like we need to reject the the binary of triumph and disaster. That's kind of the opposite of everything that sports culture gives us. Yes, but think about it. If you want to be the best, okay, let's think. Let's go martial arts. Okay. Because <laughs> there's hard form where you're young buck and you're gonna take them out and you go. Right. And then there's a soft style as you advance. You understand? Right. So. We will learn in a martial art that you know, you, you're grounded in earth, there's wind, there's fire, there's air, and there's void. When we're talking about treating triumph and disaster <laughs> as the same, we're talking about being in a void where we're not so obsessed with triumph that we can't handle failure. We're so comfortable with the fact that uh, there are going to be challenges. You anticipate. You anticipate that there will be. You're always having a battle between chaos and order. (laughs) And to be comfortable, to be comfortable in a world that's filled with challenges, it's an art form. (laughs) You have to practice, train, and rehearse 
being comfortable with the fact that things change with or without your permission. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes to listen to via stream at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Ronia Kavansak. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meradian, and our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. The executive producer of Stateside is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.